I'm turning this evening to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Luke 19, verses 1 and 2. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And our title is very simply, A Life Transformed. Now, so often, people just do not seem to know that Christianity is about a transformation of life, a tremendous and a profound change that comes about through an encounter with the living God, an encounter with Christ. It changes your mind, your whole mental outlook. It changes your heart, your affections, and it changes your will, your volitional power to act. It changes you entirely. And what I propose to do is to make a brief examination of the case of this man, Zacchaeus. We read about him only in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus, a man who bore a Jewish name, clearly Jewish, and uh, his name comes from Hebrew into Greek, means of all things transparent and pure. That was his name. That wasn't his life. He was a tax collector and he's described as chief among the tax collectors. Now that doesn't mean to say that he worked for the Roman power, the Roman Empire, the occupying power of the land. They outsourced their tax collection. And there were auctions in those ancient times by the authorities for the collection of taxes. And wealthy people would buy a kind of franchise or license or right for an entire region. And they would collect the taxes and claim a margin and forward what they thought was right and proper to the Roman authorities. So Zacchaeus was, would have been conspicuously wealthy and rich to be described as a chief tax collector or publican in our King James Version, clearly he was the owner of a license. How large it was, certainly it would have been Jericho and area, probably a much larger area. He would have had many uh, sub-licensees working for him, but he was the chief among them. And such a man Though we're not given the details, I think it's fair to assume that his God was money. His God was gain. It was a very costly thing, if you were Jewish, in Israel to be a tax collector and to be a chief tax collector. You would be hated. You were seen as a traitor collecting for the Roman overlord. And you were probably a cheat. History tells us that they nearly all were. And they would make inflated assessments wherever they could and charge more than they should. And they were on the make. And it's as much 
as admitted in the narrative in the case of Zacchaeus. He would be a man, I guess, I imagine, whose family saw little of him recreationally, socially, in friendship. I suppose his To be in this position, he's accumulated wealth, he's bought his license, he's functioned for a while, and so his children are probably older or grown up, but he was a man obsessed with money and with his work. Very, very shrewd, probably very cunning, could read people easily. All these things would go to an outsourced tax collector. Behold, see, there in Jericho was a man named Zacchaeus, the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. But verse 3 becomes exceedingly interesting. And we'll just go through the case in an expository manner. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was. Now the King James translation is... uh, very significant here. It just tracks the words. And the original is, Greek is quite cumbersome. And it uses a strong sought word. The kind of word you'd use if you're seeking not just to see, but to obtain something or get something from this encounter. He sought to see Jesus. He didn't just desire a look at him, he sought, meaning he was hoping to gain more than a look. This is a man who I think it's fair to assume has developed a need. Why does he want to see Christ? This is at the very end of Christ's ministry. He, at this present time, is starting his journey down to Jerusalem. It will be his last journey. It will be the last week, the following week. He'll be into the final period of his time on earth as he goes knowingly to Calvary's cross. He knows the time has come for him to permit himself to be arrested and to undergo false trials He knew exactly what had happened. He'd predicted it himself. He'd told the disciples several times what would happen to him. And he was heading for that now. So his ministry on earth is over. He's carried out so many compassionate miracles. He's preached everywhere in Galilee and Judea. Repent of your sin and your sins will be taken away. And you may have reconciliation with God and walk with him. Everybody knew what he stood for, what he was preaching. Crowds so enormous had followed him and watched and seen. Nobody doubted or disbelieved his miracles. Even his worst enemies, the scribes and the Pharisees, the clergy of the day, they knew they were authentic miracles And they explained them away by saying somehow or other he did them by the power of the devil. But they couldn't actually deny them. They were so numerous and so astonishing. All this was known, that he was surely, many thought, the Messiah. He fitted the prophecies of old. 
And don't you think Zacchaeus knew all that? And as Christ is coming through his city, he seeks, he wants something. Oh, if he could see him, this extraordinary person, this at least prophet of God, probably the Messiah. So I think we can assume Zacchaeus was a man in trouble. He had begun to realize the emptiness of life, just living for his God, money. He had begun to realize his sinfulness. Everybody disliked him. He was an outcast from temple and synagogue. He couldn't mix in Jewish society because of his trade, his business, his work. Was it getting to him now? Who am I? What is my life? What have I done with it? Look at the people, the families I've dispossessed, the misery I've caused in my greed. He was a man probably typical of those tax collectors, heartless in his activities and greedy. Was it getting to him now? And he thought if this is the Messiah who preaches repentance and forgives sin, we've heard he forgives sinners, He is God who forgives. Did he want that? Was he looking for that? Because he sought to see Jesus, who he was. Well, you know, I'm sure, the narrative. Verse 4, he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And you can't help but noting, uh, noting that a man of his position... And his wealth and his station with servants and a huge house and no end of people working for him to be scuttling along in public and running and climbing with the unruly boys up a tree in order to see Christ. He seems to have temporarily lost himself. He certainly does want to see Christ. He is looking for something. Is he the person we've been led to believe he is? Is he God? Does he forgive sins? I must see him. I must, I must look at him. And regardless of any humbling things he had to do, he was determined to clamber into a tree and to see him pass. And verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, He looked up, and their eyes met, and Zacchaeus would have been astonished and taken aback if he was concerned about his place in the sight of God, if he was concerned about his soul, to be stared at and have the eyes of Christ, the Holy One, the One who healed the one who was said to be the Messiah, fixed on him. And even worse, he not only looks at him, but this sound rings out, Zacchaeus, his name, pure. It must have gone through him like a barb, pure. That's just exactly what I'm not. He knows me through and through. He sees what I am. 
And what I've done, I think it's all here. I'm assuming it. It doesn't say so in the record. But there are things here in this record that suggest it very strongly. Zacchaeus, yet it wasn't said in sarcasm. It was said in sympathy. It was a calling sound. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide, dwell at thy house, not just call by, but stay with you. To my house, Zacchaeus would think, my house is splendid. This man, he's clearly a prophet. I see him, I'm looking down at him. He has a dignity and a holiness about him. He's not on the make. He's clad as a relatively poor man. He's got piercing eyes and he's going to come to my house and see my ill-gotten gains and the wealth and all the things I revel in which he'll know are gained from dishonesty, from fraud, from cheating, from hurting people. And yet, he's overjoyed. It says, and this is the curious thing in the record, he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. How was that? Nobody asked Zacchaeus if they could stay with him. He was despised, working for the Romans, a chief tax collector. Nobody did that. The one who was said to be the Messiah, come down, make haste, I'm staying with you. And he uses a word which has a double meaning. I'm dwelling with you. We'll come to that in a moment. And that's what he hears. You can only account for his elation, his happiness, at the fact that by this he realizes there is hope for him. If this is the Messiah, if this is the Son of Man, well, that's a very special term in the Bible. It comes all the way from the prophet Daniel when he's speaking of the Messiah, the coming Savior. And Christ called himself the Son of Man. It was the title he used. It's even in this passage in verse 10. If he's God, if he's the Messiah, if he's the son of man who forgives and he's going to come to me and he speaks to me so sympathetically, there is hope for me. I can be forgiven. I can be renewed. I can be changed. I think that's the only way you can account for him receiving Christ joyfully. Come down, Christ says. Make haste. Why make haste? Well, it may be this speaks to us. 
Has there been concern in your heart, in your mind, about your soul? Have you begun to think, I need to know about God. I need to know God. I need to know what life is for, where its destination will lead, what it's about. I can't believe it's just one great accident. The entire cosmos, with all its complexity and design, and we human beings, so unique, so vastly different from the animals, with our minds and our faculties and our emotions and our memories. I can't believe any longer that we're here just for a time and then gone. And one day everything will explode. And everything that's ever happened in everybody's life will be completely and utterly pointless. I don't know that I can believe any longer in atheism. You say to yourself, I want to find out. And you hear and you read. And Christian friends explain it to you. And you're moved, and you want to find the Lord. These words are for you. Make haste. Come quickly. Come down, Zacchaeus. Make haste. Don't linger. Don't delay on this decision to come and to seek, and to come to Christ and pray to him. And seek forgiveness of sin and new life. If you delay, there'll be so many forces at work upon you to dissuade you and to tear you away. And you may lose everything. Make haste. Come down, Christ says to Zacchaeus. And he came. The bystanders, there were vast crowds. Verse 7, when they saw it, they murmured. That was derogatory, muttering. He can't be the Messiah, look. He's going to the home of a conspicuous, conspicuously evil man. They didn't know what was going on. And verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said, There's a gap between verse 7 and verse 8. A gap probably of several hours. Zacchaeus takes Christ to his home. How long were they talking before Zacchaeus stands in verse 8 and makes a great statement? Two hours? Three hours? Four hours? I don't know. But there's a gap there. And the shutters come down, and we're not actually told what that conversation was about, and what passed between them, and what was said. Well, we're not told explicitly, but we are told, because if you look down to verse 10, there's the great statement of Christ, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what, about that, what that conversation was about. The Son of Man, the term for the Messiah, for Christ, for God who has become man. The Son of Man is come, or has come, as we would say, to seek 
and to save that which was lost. That's what Christ was doing in the home of Zacchaeus. He was seeking and saving that which was lost. First of all, he seeks him. That's what Christ does with us. He seeks us. The seeking word in the Greek is quite meaningful and powerful. Christ condescends to seek after us because we're difficult. We're resistant. We're like foolish sheep. We don't know what's good for us. We recoil from God and from Christ. We don't want him. We want this world and material things. We want the little things, the narrow things, the empty things. And we will not by ourselves seek the Lord. So he seeks after us to draw us. And it isn't easy to draw us against our will. That's how great his mercy and his kindness is. The Son of Man is come to seek and to patiently draw us, show us our need of forgiveness and new life and to draw us to himself. And when he's drawn us and we finally fall on our knees and we ask him to forgive and to change us and we give ourselves to him he saves us rescues us that's a powerful word saves us in that word saves is so much if you're saved it's something you cannot do for yourself you're lost seeking to save that which was lost it's like being in a desert waste. But you, you've no compass. You can't get a bearing. You've no map. We won't discuss how you came to be there. You can't see where to go. You're exhausted anyway. You can't trek through the wastes. You're lost. You do not know the way out of this problem. And you can't get out of it. You need to be saved. Saved describes what it means to come to God. He's got to do it all. He's got to forgive us freely. We cannot earn his blessing and his favor. We're sinners. We cannot make up for all the sin we've already committed in life through every moment of every day. We need total saving. We're going down with the vessel that's sinking. We cannot help ourselves. We need saving. The Son of Man is come to seek against our will and to save, to rescue freely. Don't imagine you can work your way to heaven, deserve your way to heaven, earn your way to heaven. It's being saved. It's a work of God to forgive and to rebuild the life and to bring us to himself. That which was lost, hopelessly lost, ignorant of God, far from him, 
a mountain of sin between us and Almighty God. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That would have been the substance of the conversation between Christ and Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus broke down and confessed his wrong and his sin before Christ and called upon him to change him and forgive him and give him a new beginning. And Christ did it. And in verse 8, you pick up the evidence and the result. They're in the house of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus stood. He's got a great declaration to make. Christ is there. And said unto the Lord, Behold, see, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. That wasn't something he did in order to earn the favor of Christ. By this time he'd already obtained the favor of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ. He was now a forgiven man and a new man. And the evidence of the great change is that greedy, grasping, heartless individual was giving away his wealth. What an evidence of the transformation within. His nature had already been changed. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, the original Greek is a bit more positive than this. There's no if about it. The if is intended as an as. If as I have taken things from any person by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. That actually was the Roman law. If you were in a court of law and you'd taken from somebody, under Roman law, you had to reimburse them times four. And Zacchaeus was going to do it voluntarily, without any trials, without any accusations. He was going to spend almost, I should think, everything he had, and he didn't mind. To be right with God, he had to put things straight and have a different reputation and act as a different man. And finally, Christ says this to him. Verse 9, Jesus said to him while they were in that house, this day is salvation come to this house. This day, if you come to Christ, it isn't the beginning of a lifelong quest to find him. Did you know this? You find him straight away. He receives you. And he changes you and you know it. And you know you're his. He has a way of so working in your life that you are assured, you know, you belong to him. And he is yours. And you're his child. 
And that's what happened in this case. This day is salvation. This night you can be forgiven and you can be changed by God and set on the pathway to heaven, a member of the kingdom of God, one with the family of God's people. This day is salvation. Come to this house. And whoever lived in that house, a great mansion, I would think, if adult children were there, growing teenagers, I don't know, many servants, but all the people in that house would know that Zacchaeus was now a Christian man. Salvation would come to that house that the very atmosphere would change. There'll be no more temper tantrums, no more spite and greed, no more horrible things emanating from the master of the house. Everything would be different. Salvation had visited that house. It's what happens when people are converted. Their wives, their husbands... They know it. The children know it. They've got a real father, real mother, who loves the Lord and has a hold on divine resources. Salvation has come to that house, and everyone in that house will be influenced in time. For as much as he also is a son of Abraham. You know what happened to Abraham, right back in the book of Genesis, he believed God and the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. He believed. Why, Zacchaeus is described by Christ as a true son of Abraham because like Abraham, he's believed with all his heart that Christ is the Saviour, that he will remove his sin and give him a new life, and he's entrusted himself to Christ and confessed to him. So he's just like Abraham, the father of the faithful. That's the narrative of Zacchaeus. It could be the narrative of your life. If you come to Christ, that's one who was converted in conversation with Christ. May it be blessed, everyone, dear friends. Feel your need of Christ. Seek him, find him. Repent of your sin. Yield your life to him. You'll never be the same again. May it be so. Let's pray together. O oh God, our gracious Heavenly Father, look upon us all. Help us, O oh Lord. Grant us such blessing that we shall come to Christ and truly find him. Be present in our midst, even this night. Look upon us and help us. We ask these things in the name of Christ, the only Lord and Saviour, for his sake. Amen.